Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So sometimes expectations are funny. All of us have had expectations of things that, that were not met. Um, Craigslist, Amazon, to name a few. Um, recently, my wife found a uh, the perfect, I've heard this about 500 times, the perfect like thing on, I think it was Craigslist, and there's an area on the wall where it's going to go, and it's just absolutely perfect. And it's this mirror that looks like a door, and it's um, farmhouse or farmhouse chic or whatever the heck we do. I don't know. Um, but it's going on this area. And so she finds this, she buys it, and I've got to drive all the way out to, I think, like town and country or something crazy to, to pick this thing up on my day off. And so we drive out there. And, and again, it's perfect. It's perfect size. It's perfect everything. So, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, so we get there. We meet in a parking lot. First, you know, worry is, am I going to get killed by you? Are you a Craigslist killer? Um, that turns out to not be the case. And so the second thing is they start to get this mirror out of their car. And they're, like, getting it out of, like, this little compartment on their back seat. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, does this thing fold up into three pieces? Um, but you shouldn't be able to fit that in your back seat. And so we get there and we're expecting like a door sized mirror. And this thing is like this big. And I'm like, babe, did you, was there anything for like, you know, scale that you could see? Did you get a measurements on any of this? And apparently she didn't. It just looked like that was the size of it. It was going to go perfect on that area of the wall with no measurements. And so I'm like, are you, we drove to town and country. We paid four times the amount. I think it was a little shady on behalf of the seller, but it was not at all what we expected. Does anybody have had that happen before? Um, the same thing with my kids. We had kids was not what I expected. Um, no, no, I love my kids. I'm just saying like none of my expectations um, they, they were all off the rails. Marriage was another thing. So like when I got married, and I'm probably not the only guy that's done this, but I kind of had this naive view that um, I would just kind of continue to do what I've always done. And I didn't say this out loud, but I, I think in the back of my mind, she would just adjust um, around all of that. And so um, like I would work till, you know, I was used to being single. So I'd work late into the evening. And so we're a couple months in and it just kind of started to be a pattern. I would say like, I, I got, I'm going to got to work late tonight. I'll be in at eight and then I get in at nine. And so um, after a while I'd check in, I remember one incident in particular. I'm like, Hey, I got to work late again. There's just stuff that like, it's really urgent. And she's like, oh, do whatever you got to do. I'm like, all right, great. She's amazing. So um, I work late again. <laughs> And I remember this particular night, I get home and like, I just had this expectation of like, she's just going to be waiting for me for hours and um, the food's going to be hot and like, I'm telling you, it was off the rails. And, um, and I'd probably get lucky that night as well, because we're married now, like, why wouldn't we, you know? And so I, in fact, I remember one night just coming home and telling her these expectations and she's like, are you serious right now? Are you kidding me? And um, so after a little bit of counseling and things like that over the next couple months, Things started to get into a good place. But my, my expectations were all over the place. And one of the things that's true in relationships particular is, is, is expectations can influence tremendously. Um, at some level, they can be healthy. At another level, they can be detrimental. But um, your expectations, they have a lot to say about your relationships. And at some level, our, our filter of our expectations in regard to Jesus, which is what we're and who we're talking about in this series, um, influences how we relate to him. And, and in some cases, it influences whether we relate to him at all. And your expectations might stem from some things that you experienced in the past. Um, for a lot of us, we have expectations that stem from even just some internal uh, feelings that we have. Others of us, we have expectations based on what somebody told us, but it's all over the map. Like we have expectations. So my questions or questions are just this is like, I wonder, I wonder what your expectations of Jesus are. I, I want, in fact, I, I take it a step further. I wonder 
what your expectations are in terms of his expectations of you. Like, what are your, what are your expectations? Because no matter how long you've been around the church, which honestly doesn't mean anything, because we do a great job sometimes of putting up filters and, and kind of sanitizing and reducing Jesus down to something that Jesus is not, that you don't find in the historical narrative. So like, what, what is your filter? And one incident, Jesus answered that question in a very definitive way. But as we've seen a lot already in this series, it was very disruptive. And so Jesus, one day, he's with a couple groups of people. They could not be on more opposite sides of the spectrum, and they couldn't have any more different expectations of if God's going to show up or if Jesus you know, ends up being God, if he really is the Messiah, here's, here's what we would expect. And so one day Jesus is gathering around and Luke, Luke 15, Luke records it. He's a guy that if you're a skeptic, he starts his whole account out with, like, I thoroughly investigated all this stuff. I interviewed eyewitnesses. Like I went through a lot of fact checking. So he starts to write it and says that one day um, there was some sinners and tax collectors and there were some Pharisees that were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And this is something we keep coming back to in this series, but this is what's so amazing about Jesus that's not so amazing about most of our churches that it really was a come and see invitation. It really was an invitation to follow me. And as you look at the New Testament, what that meant was just, just come investigate Jesus, just hang out with Jesus, just get around Jesus. It, it wasn't a, hey, get your, your crap together and come invitation, or as soon as you start believing, it was just, no, come and see, come and follow. So consequently, Jesus always had the most eclectic crowds showing up to hear him. And they didn't have anything in common other than they just wanted to be there to listen to Jesus. You had the sinners and tax collectors. And that always cracks me up because tax collectors, we'll talk about this in another message, were so bad, they had to have their own category. Like the sinners were like, we're the prostitutes, we're the pimps, um, we're the crack addicts, but we are not going to be in the same category with the tax collectors. So give them their own category. So it's sinners and tax collectors, and then it's the Pharisees. These are all the religious guys. These are the, the morally astute guys. These are the guys that knew the, the Old Testament Torah, but they're all there and they're all listening to Jesus. And this is just a side note. That really bothers me. Like when I, I read those, those accounts of Jesus, it bothers me because in many cases, I don't feel like our churches look anything like what it looked like when Jesus showed up to preach, when you had all kinds of socioeconomic racial, religious backgrounds showing up and they all wanted to hear Jesus and Jesus liked hanging out with them. And I wonder sometimes if we are a little distant from what Jesus represented in the New Testament, being that we don't seem to have any of that eclectic nature. Like when we, you really embrace what Jesus was about, I'm telling you, potheads and Sunday school kids start showing up together over and over again. And the one thing they have in common is we're just investigating Jesus. So anyway, these two groups are there and Jesus starts to lay down this story, a parable, um, which is like a parable is an untrue story that was used to be able to articulate something that was true. And Jesus is a master communicator. So he's like, I'm going to use a story to try to get everybody on the same page. And what I want to talk about is this issue of expectations, and so he launches into a parable, and maybe you've heard this, even if you haven't been around the church. He tells the first one, and then he tells the second one, and then he gets to the third one. And this is kind of the moment where he wants to draw everything together. And Luke um, 15, he records it this way. And again, this is um, his story that he's telling to illustrate um, something that's true. And Luke 15, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, that's not a big deal to you. That was unbelievably disruptive to them because basically what this younger son is saying is, when you die, dad, I'm gonna get um, a portion of your estate and your inheritance, but it's not looking like you're gonna die anytime soon. You're, you're doing cardio, you look healthy. So can we just pretend that you're dead and you give me the money now and then I'm gonna peace out? And everybody who's listening to this is shocked. And Jesus on purpose is ramping up the emotion. So all the Pharisees there are going, okay, that is messed up. And all the tax collectors and sinners are going, that is messed up. And all of them know that if Jesus is telling a parable, they've got to figure out who's who in the story. Meaning somebody represents the Pharisees, somebody represents sinners and tax collectors, and somebody represents God. And so already Jesus has barely begun the story. And the Pharisees are all like, that's you guys, you know that, right? 
You're about to get lit up in the story. This is amazing. I'm glad we came. And the sinners and tax collectors are going, no, we're about to get lit up in the story. Not sure that we should have come. And, and the sinners and tax collectors, I, I think, are kind of in the place to go in. And we, you know, we deserve it. And so Jesus begins to tell the story. And this is so scandalous because a, a Middle Eastern father generally would say, no way. I mean, even for me, like I, I think about like my, my two boys when I want to like hug them or ask them to come up and cuddle. And they're like, ah, and I'm like, are you, you punk? Are you serious? Like, <laughs> do you know all I do for you? And so Jesus is on purpose ramping up the emotion and the father in the story does what nobody expected. He divided his property between them. And so the younger son sticks around for a few weeks and then he, he does what he says. He pieces out. He gets a one-way on Delta to LA and he decides that he, in the text, it says he goes and pursues wild living. In, in essence, he goes and pursues the promise of something more. The same thing that we do. Like you're in a marriage, something is looking a little bit better over here. I think it might be them. And they actually just inboxed me on Facebook. And so it's the promise of something more. Or you're in a place where in terms of lifestyle or your career, you're starting to think about things or choose things or prioritize things that you never would have in a previous season. But there is the promise of something more something better than what you've got in the moment. Now, here's the thing about the younger son. He doesn't know what the, it says he went off to a distant country. He has no idea what the distant country looks like, but it's just a promise of something more. For us, we know what the distant country looks like. We just scroll through it. That looks like the distant country. That look, looks like what I want. I want their kids, even though um, that picture took 21 tries and they're really um, not that sane and not that put together, but it looks like they are. And so it's just a promise of the distant country. And so the younger brother starts to look out there and the only thing he doesn't take into account is the distant country and the promise of something more. When he gets there, he's gonna be there. Like he's going with him. Everywhere he goes, there he is. And so he heads off into the distant country and he's, he like, he's the younger son. So he's probably millennial, he's 22. So for him, wild living meant, I'm gonna become a club rat. I'm gonna get tanked every night. I'm going to swipe right and hit it and quit it until I'm bored. I, I'm going to wake up in the morning. It's going to look like I've been in a boxing match, but at, like I'm going to enjoy it. And for a minute, he enjoys it because for a minute, it's fun. And so he lives up every fantasy as like a 22-year-old millennial who actually has money and he's off in the distant country and he does whatever he wants to do. And really, it's like the biggest slap in the face to this father. And then after he's, he's exhausted every possibility, it says that the economy tanks and, and he runs out of money. And so Luke is writing this and Jesus is telling the story. It says, verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began to be, what, what's the word? Need. need. That was so lame. He began to be in what? Need. need. And this is really interesting. Because I don't know that I ever really saw this before, but this is a pivotal point, not just in this story, but in the story of this son that, that Jesus is illustrating. Because this is the point where his need has the possibility and will begin to shift his narrative. Like for some of you, that, that might be in the place where you're at right now, where you recognize that there's a need. And the need might be spurred on by there's some kind of financial disaster. The need might be spurred on by the fact that there's a breakup. The need might be a, a depression or anxiety thing, or it's a mental illness. The need might be your own dysfunctional decisions. And so you've kind of placed yourself in a place where you're in need and a lot of the need is your own making. But you're here today at some level or you're listening or you're watching. And part of the reason that you're leaning in, even if you don't believe, is there is a need that you can't escape. And suddenly you're at a place where you realize what I've been doing or what I've been pursuing or what I've been trying to do is not working. And you just need to hear this is that your need as bad as it seems, because it may be the most sensitive pain point. 
It's the place where you want to give up. It's the place where you want to let down. It's the place where you want to just waller in whatever your need is because you created it. So I kind of deserve it. But I'm just telling you, your need has the possibility to shift your narrative if you begin to look in the right direction. And he has no idea in the moment. It's just, this sucks. I don't have any money, but I am in need. And little does he know that that need is going to begin to shift the narrative of his life. Like sometimes this is true. God will even remove some things so that you feel the need because there's worse places to be than in need. The worst place to be is in a place where you're in need, but you don't know your need because all of the external stuff feels pretty good, but you have no idea that something is depleted on the inside of you. And eventually this is going to run out. Eventually this is not going to work. And so again, maybe you showed up today and I just want to tell you, it may be evidence that God's beginning to work in your life and it feels anything but, but I'm telling you just the fact that you recognize your need may be the shift in your narrative that God wants to bring about. Thanks. Cause I felt like, I felt like that was, I was preaching that, but that's fine. Um, but it didn't happen immediately. So verse 15, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and he sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And in verse 16, come a little stronger this time. Verse 16, it says this. And he, what's the word? Long. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. There was a point, I was probably a sophomore in college. And you ever get to a place, have you ever been in a place where just the reality of where you're at is not where you want to be? And I remember getting that place and I've never like struggled with depression or anything like that. But I, for, a, for a minute, I felt like I was just in this thing that I couldn't get out of. And I hadn't, I hadn't really gone to a distant country as, as you probably would define that, but I, I knew that things were just not right. Things were not right in me. Things were not right in terms of what I was pursuing. There were some things that were just off. And I felt like the reality of that, there was a clarity that just started to crash down around me. And, and I'll, I'll never forget being in that place where all of a sudden my expectations began to get a little bit lower. My expectations in that moment because of some of the things that I've done where I started to hedge my bets about what I felt like God was willing to do in my life. I started to hedge my bets in terms of what I was worthy of because I felt really unworthy in that season. I felt, I just felt this thing about what, what God was even willing to do. And all of the sudden, because of the desperation that I felt, the need that I felt, and I kind of felt like I had created a lot of it, is that that desperation started to lower my expectation. And for, for some of you, you may be in a place where there's a need that's risen to the surface. And again, it's a, it's a relational thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's some decisions that you've made. And all of a sudden you found yourself in that awareness of need where your desperation like this isn't working is starting to lower your expectation in regard to, I don't know what God's willing to do. I don't know because of what I've done, if I could ever have a healthy marriage. I don't know if, if I could ever be at peace, if I could ever really be emotionally healthy. And I'm kind of starting to feel like I don't deserve that. Or maybe you feel like God's called you to something and all of a sudden you're starting to lower your expectations of because of some of what I'm dragging around, I don't know that God is willing or able to do that in my life any longer. And all of a sudden, because you don't really know God, you don't know how God sees you, you don't know how God operates, you've allowed your desperation, which I understand it's natural, you've allowed your desperation to lower your expectation. And I just wanna tell you this because this is for some of you, is that in many cases, your desperation is the platform for God to show off his power. And you may be in a place right now where you're hiding behind what you think God can't do, what God's not willing to do, your own unworthiness. And what you have to understand is when you begin to understand your need and look in a different direction, and when you begin to understand your desperation, you don't have to lower your expectation. Your desperation should cause you to raise your expectation because God says, I 
respond to the prayers of people in need. I am moved by desperation and I'm not coming proportional to what you deserve because nothing is based on you. It's based on me. And so if you're in a place right now where you feel the need and there's desperation, this is unnatural, but I just want to proclaim to you, you need to raise your expectation, not lower your expectation because it's in that moment that God wants to move. God is not looking to hold back. God is not looking to pay you back and he is not hemmed in by your sin or your dysfunction or you looking around at culture going, it's so bad. Listen, God can take sin and God can take dysfunction and God can take you at your worst. And when you begin to see the need that you didn't recognize before and you're at your lowest desperation point in that desperation is the expectation of what Paul writes about. When I was in need, I could come before the throne of grace with confidence, not based on me, but based on what Jesus has done for me. And so in this moment, I'm tempted to shrink and run away and just settle in that this is what I deserve, but that is not the gospel. And your desperation should raise your expectation that if you would begin to move in his direction, he can take that desperation and use it as a platform for his power in your life. Stop limiting him. Just preaching a little bit. And so verse 17, this is the moment when he came to his senses and he said, how many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Basically, this is the moment where the initial need didn't move him home, but all of a sudden the need and the desperation, it begins to shift his focus. And he basically is like, why am I here? What am I doing here? And so he begins to plot heading back toward home and he has no idea what to expect. Again, you probably know the story. And he, he is so full of fear and he is so full of just this uncertainty about his, how he's gonna be received. And so he starts to, as he heads toward home, he starts to begin to rehearse a speech of, okay, if I'm coming back with what I've done, I, I've, I better prepare something because I just don't know what's gonna happen in this moment. Like, have you ever been there? Like when I got my license as um, a teenager, I wrecked the car like two times within a couple weeks. And the second one, I was in the school parking lot and I backed without looking right into a trailer behind me. And so I just remember rehearsing that speech as I'm coming home, like, okay, what words do I need to say? I need to convey responsibility that I understand what I've done. And so I'm coming with, hey dad, I, I really, I need to tell you something, but you just need to know on the front end that I think this is really gonna be a catalyst for my life and, and me learning responsibility and it, it could reshape everything. So in some ways we should thank God for this in this moment. But I, I backed into the, the car and he's like, Sh shut up. You're not getting the car for a couple months, like save your speech. So, so the, the, the son's coming back home and he, he's rehearsing, okay, I, like I've, I've sinned against um, dad, you and, um, and heaven, I should mix that in. And um, I, I'm not worthy to be called a son because no son would do this. So I just, I just want a job. You can refer to me by the ID number on my employee card. Like I just, I know that I'm, I'm not worthy. And so he got up and he, he went to his father <laughs> And remember, there's two groups of people listening to this. And the Pharisees are going, this is an amazing story. Because he's about to get lit up. Because that's what happens. When you basically give your dad the finger and go do whatever you want, spend all his money, and then try to come back home. And the, the tax collectors and sinners are going, we're about to get lit up. And we know Jesus is looking right at us when he tells this story. And it says, so he got up and he went to his father. And but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with pause. And you might know the end of the story and you might know the fill in the blank. But I just want to talk to you for a second. No matter how long you've been around the church or how much theology you have, and you could give me a whole discourse on, on what this means and you could break it down or, or, or maybe you're, you're just coming back or maybe you don't even know if you believe any of this. But I, I just want, at, at your worst point, not you today because you may feel pretty good about yourself today, but at your 
your worst point, if you were to encounter Jesus face to face, everybody in their mind, I guarantee you, has some kind of emotion that they feel like he's going to feel in that moment. And my question is just this, like, what would that emotion be? If you're coming back, not today, but maybe you're driving back from the spring break, you're driving back after you just booked the hotel, you're driving back after you just walked out, or you're just, you know, it's that point where you just feel your inconsistencies and failures. And it's not some big, you know, off the rails, immoral thing, but you just know that like something's not right. In that moment, what would the emotion be? See, for most of us, just, I mean, this is just human understanding. This is how we deal in relationships. If you get screwed over in a relationship, if somebody hurts you, if somebody abuses you, the natural emotion is anger. If somebody walks out on you, there's going to be anger. Or there's going to be a, I'm just going to pretend like the relationship is not that big a deal in order to protect myself. But generally, when we're treated that way, the way Jesus is describing here, there's just, there's just anger. There's, he's going to be let down. There's disappointment. And what you need to know is, is that your answer to that question of what would the primary emotion be of you at your worst if you were to come face to face with Jesus, it has the power to determine everything about your life. For some of you, you're in a place where it just, you feel like God is angry. And so every once in a while, you have this anger that's unleashed on other people around you. And they're going, what is your problem, man? And your problem isn't even with them. You're angry at you because you feel like God's angry with you. Or you're in a place of disappointment and so now you just lead yourself into this cycle of self-condemnation of I feel like I've disappointed God and so I'm probably gonna disappoint me again and I'll probably disappoint you. Or you feel like the primary emotion and maybe you would even say, I understand grace, I understand that God's invitation is undeserved, but I, he would be let down. And so now you're in this self-fulfilling prophecy where you constantly feel you're gonna let you down or let other people down. But I'm telling you, what you fill in that blank is everything. And so Jesus is telling this story and he's got both groups leaning in. And he says, the son gets home with his rehearsed speech and he meets the dad and it says that the dad was filled with compassion for him. And here's the thing. Not compassion because he was coming home. Not compassion because he had repented or changed his mind. Not compassion because he had changed anything. At this point, the father has no idea. It's just compassion because he's lost. What you find throughout the scriptures, and this is so mind-boggling, is God does not have compassion when we are worthy of that compassion, that God has the most compassion for the most dysfunctional and sinful people because it's why he came. And so before they change, before he even knows if they've repented, before he even knows if they've given anything up, he says he looks down the road a long way off and he's compassionate toward the son simply because the son is lost. And what I love about it it, it, it says that the father sees him and he's still miles away and he's going, you are nowhere close to home. You still look like disheveled club. You probably smell like club. You are still three miles down the road. You're nowhere close, but I just want you to know that I see you and I'm already starting to celebrate because I'm more concerned about your direction than I even am about your perfection because you're never gonna meet perfection, but I want relationship from you. And so you just need to know you're a long way off. I see you. I see you, I, I see you. And so it says that the father ran, which this is no more you disobey and God distances. Jesus is making a very poignant point of something new is coming, something new is being offered through Jesus. And so this Middle Eastern father, you don't hike up your robe and run, but he runs to his son, he throws his arms around him, he kisses him. And I'm telling you, both groups are in shock. The Pharisees are going, we did not see that coming. And the sinners and tax collectors are going, you are kidding me. It's getting a little uncomfortable right now. And verse 21, it says, and the son said to him, and he's stammering through it, father, I... I've sinned against um, you and I've sinned against heaven and I'm no longer worthy. And the dad's just like, shh, shh, worthy. Who said you were ever worthy? It's like my kids. You're not worthy. You don't do anything around the house. You can't pay for any of your own bills. 
I'm constantly cleaning up your mess. I'm constantly wiping your butt. Nicole's going to say otherwise, but I am. I'm constantly doing it. And like, you, you don't contribute anything. You're not worthy and you're never going to be able to pay me back unless Braxton, who's 90th percentile, grows up and becomes an NFL linebacker. Like maybe he's going to be able to pay me back. Um, I'm not sure how that happened. Wonder sometimes if I am the father, but like, um, <laughs> otherwise I'm just kidding. But like, you're never going to be able to pay me back. And so the, the father just stops the son to go, well, what are you talking about worthy? You were never worthy. You're not standing here on the basis of being worthy. And so he says, hey, just stop. I'll listen to your speech later. Quick, quick. And all the Pharisees are going, oh, okay, all right. Um, I'm not saying don't receive him back, but like, let's let, hold up. Let's not go crazy. Like, have we, has, he met with the, has, has he met with the leadership team yet? Is there a seven-step or 12-step program that you got ready for this guy? Do we know if he's really sorry? Do we know if he's changed anything? Does he understand how bad it was? Is he gonna pay back the stuff? Are you sure they're not living together? Are you sure they're, they're not still gay? Are you sure that you know, he set that down? Are you sure he's changed? Are you sure things are different? And in the story, Jesus is making a very, very uncomfortable point. Hey, no, 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 quick, quick. Go get the robe, which denotes all of my favor is still on this boy. And go grab a ring, which denotes that he is still my son. And go get some sandals and go kill the fatted calf. No, I said it, the fatted calf. We're going big tonight. Get a DJ. It's gonna be hype. There's gonna be a dance floor. We're gonna throw a massive party and we are going to celebrate that my son has come home. Because verse 24, he was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. So we've gotta celebrate. And the Pharisees who are listening to the story are like, what? You can't. In fact, and, and this is the one point where I understand where they're coming from. That's almost irresponsible. That's so scandalous. That's so disproportionate that you're just going to quick He's coming back. You haven't even had a conversation or heard his speech and you're already throwing this elaborate party to welcome him home. I think you need to have a conversation first. But he throws a party and it's big. There's no box wine. It's the good wine <laughs> and there's music and it's all out and the son has just got home, but he doesn't feel like he's worthy. And the older brother doesn't feel like he's worthy either. And both of them have expectations that are completely off. And so it says that the older brother gets home and he's been working faithfully in the field because that's what he did every day. He was there every day. He was faithful. He showed up. He did what a older brother would do. I mean, he's always been there for dad. And he comes back and he asks one of the employees, like, what's going on? What's the music? Like, I, I know what dancing sounds like. It sounds like a party. What's happening? And the employee says, your, your brother is home. And your dad killed the fatted calf. You may have been saving that for your graduation, but he killed the fatted calf and he's, he's throwing a party. And the older brother, verse 28, became angry. And he refused to go in and he hung out in the next room. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But the older brother answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. I have been so obedient. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, because he's not my brother right now, he's your son. When this son of yours who squandered your property, and by the way, dad, I don't know if you know how bad it was, with prostitutes. He squandered your property with prostitutes. That was a part of what he did in the distant country. When he comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. And both of their expectations are completely off. And the older brother is sitting there going, he does not deserve this because you obey blessing. You don't obey distance. Get him in rehab. Get him some kind of counseling. Let's make sure that he knows what he's done. But come on, to do this, he, he's not deserving. And I've been here every single day faithfully serving. If anybody deserves a party, it's me. And he's just angry. 
And I wonder, I wonder how many of us who would say we've met Jesus, I wonder if there's, there's incidences or there's categories of people or there's circumstances where we're just kind of angry because of what we deserve and what we're not getting and what we think that they don't deserve. Like, can we just real talk for a second? Like, I wonder wonder sometimes how we respond and how willing we are to get onto the dance floor when the the addict comes back home and and he receives Jesus, but he's still an addict. Sometimes I, I wonder when when a member of the LGBTQ community is coming home to Jesus, but they're still gay, I, I, wonder, I wonder if we're getting on the dance floor. I wonder if, and this is, there's so many complicated political ramifications, but I'm just talking about in terms of thoughts and attitudes. I wonder if, if tomorrow thousands of illegal immigrants just began to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I wonder if we'd get on the dance floor and celebrate that. And I know the pushback. Well, hey, you're talking a lot about grace, bro, but I think you need to work in some truth. And here's what I would say to you. John said this when he was looking at Jesus' life is that Jesus was the embodiment. Jesus was filled to the rim. Jesus was grace and truth. Jesus was all grace. Next verse, Jesus was all truth in a body. And so here is our marching orders as individual Christians and Jesus followers is just to point people to Jesus. And Jesus has all of grace and all of truth in him. This is not a concept. It's a person that people need to meet. And I just want to say this, that listen, yeah, they need grace and they need truth. But I think it's about time in culture that there's a lot of people, whether they will even admit it to you or not, are staring up at the ceilings of, uh, at night and they know the truth of who they are, of what they've done, of where they're coming from and what they need. And where I think we need to step out and begin to put a bigger focus on it is to know that they are loved and accepted and can have a relationship with a heavenly father who's made himself known through Jesus. And he is welcoming them home the moment they decide to shift the narrative out of the awareness of their need. I think it's about time for the church to step out and start offering a little grace. As countless individuals are in a place where they know the truth of I've abandoned God. And as they meet Jesus, it's Jesus who says, no, no, that is true about you and I can't change that. But my grace also says that if you would come to me, I'll make you a son and a daughter and I'll call you a friend. It is people who understand the truth of, I am so dysfunctional, I've been caught in so much sin. And they come to Jesus and Jesus says, no, that's true about you. And there's ramifications to that. But even in your sin and your dysfunction, you need to know the grace that says you are welcomed home and you are given a new label that says you're loved and accepted and worthy in Jesus. I'm gonna change who you are. You're not gonna be defined by that any longer. It's the individual who understands the truth of, like, I I fail constantly. And as they meet Jesus, it's Jesus who says, no, 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 that's true. You have failed constantly. I'm not gonna rewrite history, but you also need to know in my grace that I ordained a purpose in you to change the world before you were even born. And failure does not define you any longer. And if you'd come to me, you're called a son. You're called a daughter of God. You're accepted by me. My favor and grace is on you. I'll give you the road. I'll give you the ring. We'll put sandals on your feet. And if you meet me, I can change your behavior. I can lead you to truth. And I can also overpower your story with my grace. But you just need not a concept. You need a person. And his name is Jesus. And I think the moment that the church begins to understand that all grace and all truth is crammed in the body of Jesus, that in that moment, we begin to become the most attractive and magnetic people and places in our communities, in our cities, just like Jesus was. So there the older brother is, and he's so confused about expectations. And so the father says to him, and Jesus is telling the story, my son, you're always with me. Don't you know that my greatest desire, my greatest expectations is just that you would have relationship with me, that you would just be present with me? That in fact, I desire your presence even more than I desire your obedience. 
because you can hide behind obedience and discipline and white knuckling things and not really have relationship and not really be present with me, but you start showing up to be with Jesus, to hang out with Jesus, to get to know Jesus, to get around other people who know Jesus, I eventually will change who you are and I'll change your heart, which eventually will flow out in your behavior. But I just want to be present with you. And so come on, boy, everything I have is already yours. Why are you so angry? Why are you so angry? And here's the thing, and I just wanna say this. As we said in the series, we are so afraid. We are so bent on, we just need to make sure, we just need to balance it out. We need to have a little bit of grace for every little bit of truth. We just, rather than just, no, no, Jesus can change any human heart and you do not need to be afraid of just drawing people to him in grace. And it's Jesus who said, it's my kindness that leads people to repentance. And here's what I tell you, people abuse concepts all the time, but when you move to relationship, it changes everything. And you're invited into a relationship with Jesus. Like when I was a kid, like I went off the rails some, but but the biggest reason that I didn't go off the rails was not because of the rules my parents had. I almost disregarded most of them when I was a teenager, to be honest with you. And and we didn't have a lot of rules. I I can't say that for my older siblings. They probably did. You know how your oldest kids always get the worst version of you? And you get better as you go. Like even with our, our first two, like we were really hard on them. And then I feel like Braxton gets away with a lot. So the other day, I'm just like, go find him and spank him. Uh, not because he did anything. I just feel like, I just feel like we're behind. Um, but like they, they, they get the worst version of you. But by the time me and my sister came along, there was almost no rules. And, and you know what moved me in relationship with him? You know what kept me from, from never straying too far? It was the love of my parents. It was relationship with my parents. It was their love for me. And so there, this brother is so confused. And here the Pharisees are so confused. And here the tax collectors are so confused because all of them have expectations that are out of whack. But he says, boy, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. And so verse 32, it's why we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again and he was lost and now he is found. And I value presence more than I value anything else. So we have got to celebrate. And church, we got to celebrate. Every time prodigals come home, whether they're hanging out in the next room and they're morally astute, but they're angry because they don't understand that they're not worthy just as much as the younger brother is not worthy. We need to celebrate when they come home from the next room. We need to celebrate when prodigals come home from the distant country. And we need to realize that the epicenter of what God is doing in our generation is at the middle of the dance floor with the people who are lost, people who are dead, people who are far from God. And as long as you are distancing your yourself from Jesus' kids who are coming home. I think you're not present with Jesus because he's going, I'm in the middle of the dance floor. What I care most about in your generation is finding lost people so they can be found and finding dead people so they can be brought back to life. And if you want to be present with me, then you need to get to the middle of the dance floor as uncomfortable as it makes you. And you need to start celebrating prodigals coming home because that's what I'm all about. And I feel like we may have a generation of Christians and we're standing outside of the rooms where Jesus is throwing the biggest party and we're missing out on what Jesus is doing in our generation. We need to celebrate when the lost are found. We need to celebrate when the dead come back to life. And we need to celebrate that like we don't celebrate anything else. And so as we close, I can't close this message without, without just giving some of you the opportunity to just embrace Jesus and to come home to Jesus and maybe for the first time, enter into relationship with Jesus. As we said in week one, the initial invitation is just come and see. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to believe, just just come and see. But I'm telling you, if you come and see long enough, eventually accepting that invitation to come and see has the possibility to lead you to accept the invitation of Matthew 11:28. 28, just come to me. And grace can never be achieved. You gotta meet it in the person of Jesus. And so I think it starts today with wherever you're at, you have some kind of idea of Jesus' emotion. If you were to come back home, if you were to come back, if you were to embrace him for the first time, 
It's an emotion over that lowest moment where you were, you were struggling with abortion. You were face down on the brink of suicide, a mental illness or depression, a series of dysfunctional decisions that hurt some people in a big way around you. The fact that you walked out, the fact that you have a series of circumstances where you just feel like you, you just have failed. And you have an idea of what Jesus' primary emotion would be toward you if you were to come back home. Let down, disappointed, he's angry. And I just wanna tell you today, and, and this means nothing coming from me, but if you could hear it from your heavenly father and God revealed in human flesh through Jesus, here's what you can expect if you would come back home today to say, Jesus, I want a relationship with you or Jesus, I believe, but I've been in a distant country, so I'm coming back home. You at your worst, your worst self, dredging up all of those emotions and memories that you don't want to dredge up. Not maybe you today, but you three years ago, you seven years ago, you spring break 2005, whatever it is, is to come before him, you need to know this. The expectation is you at your worst. What you can expect from your heavenly father is you in that moment, that suicide, that abortion, that failure, the fact that you walked out, the fact that you're continuing to hide behaviors that nobody else knows about you, that you is loved by God. And there is no sin and there is no dysfunction that can push you beyond the reach of my grace. And if you were to embrace me today, my response to you would be, get the robe, get the ring, grab the sandals and put it on his feet, get a DJ, throw a party. Even if you're a long way off, but you're moving in my direction, I just want you to know I see you, I love you. And there is nothing that you can do to unfinish what I finished on the cross. It is not based on your worth or your behavior. It is based on me. So if you come back to me today, we're throwing a party. We're celebrating because the lost has been found and the dead is brought back to life. And that's why I came to planet earth. And the greater the dysfunction, the more of my compassion that you're going to feel. So just come home. And so all over the house, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment? And Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this, that for by grace, you're saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not among works so that nobody can boast. Nobody can say they're worthy. The older brother's not worthy. The younger brother's not worthy. You're not worthy. The invitation is in your unworthiness. Your behavior might look different, but Jesus just sees people who are lost, who need to be found and who are dead spiritually and need to be brought back to life. And if you would say today, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. Jesus in this moment is gonna receive you Jesus is gonna light up the dance floor. And in this moment, you can become a son and a daughter of the living God of the universe. And so wherever you're at with heads bowed and eyes closed, you can just repeat this simple prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves you. It's not any kind of magic words. It is just the transfer of your trust in your heart and in your life that says, Jesus, I believe that you're God. And right where you're at, online, watching somewhere or physically in the room, you can just pray this prayer. If this is the moment where you say, I wanna come home to Jesus and I want a relationship with Jesus. Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe that you died on the cross for all of my sin. And I believe that you rose again. And right now I'm not trusting in me, but I'm trusting in what you have done for me. Forgive me and make me your son, your daughter. Wherever you're at in the room, I wanna give you one more opportunity because for some of you, this is the moment. And it is not me, it's the Spirit of God where you almost audibly hear those words over that person at their lowest point. You are loved. Jesus, I believe that you are God and you died on the cross for all of my sin and that you rose again. And right now I'm not trusting me. I'm trusting what you have done for me. I wanna come home. And I want a relationship with Jesus. 
And so wherever you're at with heads bowed and eyes closed, if this has been your moment to begin that relationship based on your faith and trust in Jesus, would you just lift up your hand like so many in the first service and just leave it up for a second. We wanna put a card in your hand and you can go to the, the tent outside and just get some new information about your journey of following Jesus as one of his sons and one of his daughters. All over the house, anybody else who would say, in this moment, I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Just keep your hands up for just a moment and somebody's gonna bring a card around to you. This is your moment that changes everything forever. And what has been finished is never gonna be unfinished by you regardless of what your behavior looks like in the coming season. It is based on the worth, it is based on the perfection, and it is based on the promises of Jesus. One more time, anybody else would say in this moment, I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we today get to be a little part of what you have been doing for 2000 years. You are hunting down lost people so they can be found. And you are running in the direction of those who are dead spiritually so you can bring them back to life. And we thank you that you became lost on the cross and you died on the cross so that we could live. And in this moment, God, we just wanna celebrate what you're doing and the fact that all of us are unworthy. And Lord, as the prodigal came home, he wasn't just wayward. Literally, the word means he, he was reckless. And the full recklessness of his behavior was met with the disproportionate reckless grace and love of Jesus. And I thank you today that as those have who have turned in your direction to come home, no matter how reckless their past has been, they are being met even in this moment with the full-on reckless love of Jesus. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Would you stand your feet and put your hands together and celebrate loud those who place their faith and trust in Christ. I wanna say that one more time. There's people who were lost and they were found this morning dead and alive. Can we celebrate that in this moment? Let's go. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.